Thought Leadership Studio. You're listening to Thought Leadership Studio, the podcast that helps you master high-level positive mass influence to create distinctive business niches, captivate an audience, grow your following, and change the game by changing the frame with strategic thought leadership. Thought Leadership Studio. Welcome to Thought Leadership Studio, episode number 17, interview of B2B thought leader and top technology influencer, social media guru and expert, Evan Kerstell. I think you're going to find this extremely helpful. Evan's a B2B thought leader, a top technology influencer with an aggregate social media audience of 470,000 people. He's built an organic reach in the tens of millions in just 10 years, and he was named the fourth most engaging digital marketer by Brand24. Evan has worked with B2B tech brands like Intel, 3M, AT&T Business, Qualcomm, HPE, Telefonicus, Samsung, and many more. He's got 30 years of enterprise sales alliances and biz development experience in telecom and IT as well. So he brings a unique perspective to this. And in case you're new here, I'm Chris McNeil. I'm a marketer with a focus on strategic thought leadership. And my primary role now is thought leadership coach and consultant. I bring to the table credentials in entrepreneurship, influence, coaching, and innovation. I'm a master NLP practitioner, and I've won national and regional awards for innovation, as well as being the creator of what has come to be called the thought process of strategic thought leadership. And there's a lot of free resources to help you learn the building blocks of strategic thought leadership on the episode page, which has a link in the episode notes, or you can just go to thoughtleadershipstudio.com and click on podcast, where I have also curated a few really powerful snippets from this interview with Evan. So let's dive into it. Thought Leadership Studio. So I'm here with Evan Kerstel, who's got quite the impressive resume, 470,000 social media audience and working with companies like 3M, AT&T, Business. And, you know, what I'd like to do is, if it's okay with you, is find out more about what makes you tick. What lessons have you learned what models have you built? What insights have you gained um, to develop your own core message and way of helping other organizations create and share their messages through social media? Well, thanks for the opportunity to chat, first of all. And, um, you know, big fan of your show. Um, I, I think for me, it was more experimentation. I, I've been on social media for, gosh, 13, 14 years on different platforms. 
and you know being a hands-on practitioner discovering what works what doesn't work what's a flop what gets engagement and traction and and finding frankly my authentic voice and authentic self through experimentation and different clients and seeing what works what doesn't work is the trick i don't have like a playbook or a blueprint or you, you know tips and tricks in particular that will guarantee success it's just something i built uh, an audience and a approach to social and digital that works for me and has kind of worked organically over the years and so learning and experimentation i think are what what works uh in general and kind of what's worked for me to build my own sort of solo practice that's awesome so learning experimentation sounds like you're a lifelong learner type which i can relate to and I like the idea of not having too tight a model because when people start to consolidate things into a model, sometimes they quit taking new information in. Yeah, and um, you know, we all have our own prejudices and beliefs and limitations, fears, and I, I think uh, you know, learning what those are and, and how to incrementally overcome them is important. I hated video. Uh, before the pandemic, being on video conferences, doing video live streaming. And that was just um, it was silliness, actually. It was just an own personal, you, you know, uh, obstacle that I had to overcome. Now I'm a live streamer. Like, I love That's awesome. doing live engagement, live streaming, live interviews, working with brands live, and all getting recurring all the benefits that come from that, even for B2B clients. And, um, not being self-conscious or self-aware or self-absorbed doing that sort of thing and just learning all the best practices um, ha has been great. So really overcoming, uh, you know, some people don't like public speaking, others, uh, you know, are more private. Some people don't enjoy speaking extemporaneously. I mean, there's so many uh, barriers that we all put up, uh, some founded, some unfounded. And for me, it's just about trying to overcome those uh, one by one. So overcoming barriers and uh, the pandemic was an opportunity, I guess, in a sense where you have to do some video and that got you over the hurdle, apparently. How do you advise clients um, when they face hurdles in getting engaged in social media? I think it's, frankly, it's loosening up a little bit. I mean, you know, there's so many brands, big, particularly tech brands who are so narrow in their thinking, they put such limitations and policies and practices and legal uh, handcuffs on themselves about what they can or can't do or what's on brand, what's off brand, that they come off as completely constricted and artificial and uh, their employees aren't, aren't comfortable engaging and uh, their executives sort of hide behind the curtain and, um, you, you, you know, and the result is they don't get that uh, reach and engagement and goodness that comes from putting themselves out as an organization on social media. So it's uh, a real loss. It's, uh, I mean, I, I just had a client recently who said, oh, our new policy is we can only do recorded approved videos. We can't do anything live. Um, and it's, it's a shame because live gets 10, 20, 50 X more reach than, you know, the pre-recorded, highly polished, uh, edited uh, uh, videos that you see out there uh, from corporations. And so 
um, you, you know, it's a real challenge, not just for marketing, but for companies in general, right? How do you embrace the, the, these younger generations of workers? How do you allow them to have fought, be their authentic selves while adhering to corporate practices and policies and programs? And uh, part of that's the whole return to work, return to the office phenomenon. Sure. So, you know, it's all part of the same uh, theme, I think. Do you think it's a generation gap issue where above a certain age, people who didn't grow up with the internet, and I'm just old enough to have grown up programming, but not with the internet, it came along when I was in my teeth. There is a generational shift, but I think it might be even more nuanced than that. Like, uh, uh, my, you know, my son, 17, there's this Gen Z who actually don't put themselves out there as much. Interesting. I mean, my son and his friends, they're all private on Instagram. They're all using Messenger and you know, Snapchat, and they're not putting out their personal lives. So I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. A lot of older, you know, uh, middle age and above are actually being more social now uh, than we've ever seen before. So I think the pandemic has really rewritten a lot of the quote-unquote rules of norms, societies, and how we're all engaging and interactive. I think we have to kind of rediscover ourselves to some degree in this, this new age. And I don't think the traditional uh, stereotypes really apply much anymore. Yeah. So what do you do when you run into an organization that's very top down and they have, you say, we want to be successful on social, but they fit that archetype of centralized decision making behind closed doors, want to delegate all this and just have someone make it happen. I guess you'd see that as a barrier to the authenticity it, it's a barrier, a potential barrier. I mean, you, you know, in tech, it's particularly a barrier because we, we live and breathe these platforms now. And you only have to say, look at what your peers, your competitors, your, your colleagues and other verticals are doing. Look at, you know, uh, Mark Benioff from Salesforce. I mean, he's, mm -hmm. uh, he's right out there on the bleeding, uh, cutting edge of social and digital and, um, and uh, societal good, or or in fact, Nadella, who has his own personal social Twitter account, and you know leads from the front out there with his own persona, personality, personality, or Michael Dell, who's a founder, or CEO, of course, of Dell, uh, as out there with his own Twitter account. So if you're not doing it, you know your competition or your peers are. So and you know they're point. they're not doing it for kicks and giggles. They're they're gaining business or competitive edge or mindshare or thought leadership. I mean, just look at, uh, you know, Tesla with what Musk is doing. I mean, the guy's 100 right. million followers. Zero and, ad uh, budget. Tesla has Tesla. like 10 million, Yeah. right? So shenanigans and antics aside, you know, it's a tremendous marketing advantage. Yeah, I wonder how much of what seems totally spontaneous and uncontrived is contrived to be spontaneous and uncontrived because it's so beneficial to marketing or is he just truly being himself and it's a natural side effect to gain an audience through letting your own persona shine through is that is that how you would yeah i think i think that? there's a natural affinity that some have for this being an extrovert quote unquote but frankly some of the biggest introverts are great on social media they're funny they're interesting insightful and you can kind of be a little bit like the the wizard behind the curtain, you know, and not have to really put yourself out there like at a cocktail party and walking around introducing yourself. You can kind of do it in a different way, um, not necessarily through video, through through podcasting, through through the written word and other means. And so, but there also is coaching, and there, you know, I've had coaching from 
you know, business coach and video coach. And there are, you know, learnings and things you could take away or self-teach, self-teach, you know, self-taught things around best practices and tips and tricks. So, um, and I've, I've, part of that is, is how to be better and more effective on social media. And so there's a lot of, of generally publicly available content around, uh, around this stuff that you can consume pretty easily. How much um, emphasis do you put on, or does it depend on the client, on using social media as a way to gain insight into how your audience thinks? Wow, that, that's a really good question. I never thought of that. I mean, there is this great feedback loop in terms of comments and replies and likes and shares, and you can see what works and doesn't work. And uh, yeah, it exposes a lot. And there are even ways to solicit uh, feedback from your audience now with things like polls on Twitter. You can ask questions and get, you know, feedback at scale. And LinkedIn has a polling feature. Uh, there are ways to look at analytics and keywords and hashtag to see what your audience is interested in and who they are. So yeah, constantly uh, querying your your audience for for feedback and direction is is a good thing, and it helps you really attract those uh, fans, not just followers of sure. your content and your work and what you're doing and sort of it's a virtual vir virtuous circle you know and you keep attracting really favorite uh you know really folks who favorite your content and like it and share it it just builds uh you know that that audience that intensity even more so and you think that uh, i would say it's pandering but definitely know your audience my audience are techies and geeks and ctos and sure. analysts and media and journalists and so i you know, I make sure I'm somewhat on topic, you know, I don't sure. go off on tangents and rants on stuff uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, but try to serve up content that I think is interesting to me, but aligned with kind of the audience I build. And what do you think is a good balance of content creation versus curation? That's a great question, man. You're, you're, uh, you're up on the questions this morning for Friday. Sorry, Monday, but um, even harder than a Friday. I'd say um, for me, it's about 50-50. You know, uh, when I started my Twitter account, I was mainly curating and sharing and attaching myself to stories and adding color commentary. And that's great. But if you really want to build your own brand, your personal brand and your your own thought leadership, you, know, you need to put out your content, whether it's written word, blogging and or spoken word with podcasting or podcasts or video word with live or or recorded video you need to put out your own point of view and i think that becomes even more important over time and would you typically promote a more pure organic or with some paid placement using influencers buying buying paid placement buying um uh search placement, I should say, um, or is it primarily organic, combination of paid placement and organic, or does it totally depend on the situation? Yeah, I, I, I used to do everything organic. I, I just didn't invest any in paid, and I think that was a mistake. Now I'm finding, you know, very targeted paid promotion uh, in a uh, smart way is, is just really powerful, whether it's you know, using Google AdWords uh, to target a particular audience around a particular event or using paid promotion of certain tweets uh, to, again, a, a targeted community or using LinkedIn to narrow to do a targeted 
sponsored in mail to a particular demographic uh, of, of CMOs because I want to develop some some new clients. There, there are great ways for kind of short money. You can get very good results. So I'm not a fan of companies or individuals spending tons of money on paid. I mean, there's, there's, I think there's going to be a big pullback with this upcoming or this recession we're in, but um, you know, you, you know, targeted smart use of paid is a great complement to organic uh, social, particularly for B2B where, you know, you know, it's all about organic engagement you want real customers partners etc to look at your content but there are ways to elevate that with with paid as well what do you think about webinars as a way to um say if it's a tech company that has an innovative app that they want to introduce to the market that has an audience of tech people yeah no one wants to attend another webinar to be honest yeah so, sure that's, i'm curious is this still a thing or what do you think they're placed it's, it's, it's still a thing and you know those 20 people who sign up are quote-unquote leads and we want their emails but just in terms of i, I just think there are too many webinars and and people just don't want to attend them maybe they rewatch it but i i think doing like a webinar plus live stream Plus the live tweeting or live blogging the content is, is a great strategy. So people don't necessarily have to sign up and give you that email address, but they can. And alternatively, people can watch and view it on the open web through a live interface with no signups and no strings attached. So I think there are smarter ways to do webinars than just like the traditional go to webinar format that uh, gets 25 people to, to sign up and marketing ticks the box saying, okay, I got 25 leads. That's really kind of, I think, pretty old fashioned way of looking at your, your audience. So you would stack techniques on top of each other that way? My understanding. Yeah, do the webinar. Every slide goes out as a live tweet. Um, you, you live stream the webinar in addition to recording it. And you, you know, you put the content out everywhere. Don't don't make it behind a gate where I have to give you all my contact info. You know, if someone volunteers that great. And I think email marketing is really part of that. But but you know, get your content out out, out there on all the platforms, uh, not just on some gated uh, you know uh, community. So as as a part, as a piece of the strategy, but certainly not by itself. Uh, yeah, and I, I think some of the old school platforms just aren't very good. Like some of these webinar platforms are, they're, they need updating. They're sure. not very fresh and, and innovative. And, you know, it's people are watching, you know, it's putting up PowerPoints, you, you know, and there's really no two-way engagement. So some of the, the Zoom webinars have been more interesting and more participative. Um, some of the newer tools allow more interaction and, uh and that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, B2B is, is still a pretty quiet old way as a way of doing things. It's pretty old fashioned. So yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Know, it's not going away. That makes sense. And I was actually at a live uh, program workshop, I guess you'd call it a few weeks ago, that had an interactive component and you scanned a QR code and you could vote and put things which would all pop up on a screen while they're doing the live presentation. And it was interesting to see the interplay and start to wonder about organizations like Chambers of Commerce that have made their game in in-person events now, and what are they doing these days to integrate digital? And I'm wondering if you were giving a workshop and you were given a workshop to say, an organization that had brought 
20 business people in to see you and say, hey, we'll pay you for this, Evan. We just want you to help these still a little bit old fashioned. They still see uh, an ad agency as someone you just pay money to and they bring leads back to you. You guys come up with the ideas. We're going to sit behind in our offices and let you bring leads in. We need to bring these guys up to date. And you've got a few hours to do a presentation and get them engaged. What kind of things would come to mind that you want to get across to this cross-section of typical little bit behind the times business people? Yeah, I'd say um, uh, get your social, uh, social and digital profiles up to date. You, you know, get, build a more modern, fresh, interesting website. Get rid of the old one that looked like it was designed in, you know, 1998 or something. Sure. You know, get your Twitter, your Facebook, your LinkedIn profile up to date, modernized with great pictures and great bios and more copy and, you know, uh, interesting headlines and all that good stuff. So that that's step one. Step two is start putting out your own content. I mean, if you're a... Uh, a CPA in Boston, start talking about what you do with clients, start telling stories and putting those out in video form and, and written word as short blogs or, you, you, you know, uh, interview clients, or, you know, be a content creator at some scale. It doesn't have to be like us here and, and start putting out content and, um, you know, building not just uh, some followers and audience, but try to build a community, a community of your customers, previous customers, new customers, and nurture nurture that community, and then when you have events, you know, bring the, the that community together. You, you know, versus random strangers being invited to Chamber of Commerce. You know, put twelve interesting people in your space and invite them to a to a lunch through a, through a platform like Meetup, or or through a social, uh, you, you know, for TweetUp, for for example, through Twitter. So it's community building in person, but it's also doing a lot of community building on digital platforms. And uh, most people are kind of stuck with the same Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter profile they had like 10 years ago. <laughs> so right. it's time for a refresh and update, get a professional photographer, you know, update your, you know, that background picture in your bio and add some keywords and hashtags and, you know, start writing, you know, if you're not a big video fan, then write a blog. If you're not, you don't like writing, you know, take a 10 minute video and put an introduction on your site of what you do and how you do it. Um, if you don't like taking yourself, you know, do an interview of your client and have them talk about how they helped you and post that as a piece of content. And but you, you've got to, no matter what your profession, think, think about being a content creator at some scale now. And do you see, um, and this is something I, I think I'm observing. I want your take on this. The, the growth of the, you might call it thought leadership coach or content coach or partial ghostwriter, where you pull ideas out of executives and help them form it, maybe coach them on writing or maybe do some writing and editing for them, seems to be taking the place of the old take your order, come up with campaign, make it happen, ad agency role to some extent. Are you seeing any of that dynamic? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, uh, I have clients, uh, you know, I'll take, a, take a client who is a CEO of a telecom company in, uh, in New Hampshire, very successful, small uh, company delivering 
uh, unified communications and voice communication services to small businesses. And he's not out there tweeting. He's not creating LinkedIn posts. He, I mean, but he makes himself available. So I'll, I'll do an interview with him. I'll do a live stream with him. I'll, I'll capture some quotes uh, from him. I'll go, we'll go and chat and have lunch and I'll have, you know, three or four takeaways that I can put out on, on my handle, even on, on LinkedIn about things that he's seeing in the marketplace. So, I mean, really dynamic guy, amazing conversations. He's just not that into it. Right. So, sure. you know, this, this doesn't have to be me. This could be his personal assistant. This could be his, his marketing intern, his, his co-founder. It could be just someone who's capturing content or documenting, documenting, what he's doing and putting out that content uh, with him and for him. So yeah, that's a great, I think that's a great approach and content can mean anything. It could be like a long email that he wrote to a client. Maybe you take that repurpose it as a blog, you, you know, and just go through his email uh, and find interesting snippets. So content can mean so many things. It doesn't have to be this you know, polished crafted uh, kind of uh, almost journalist like uh, piece, you know, yeah, I think I think you're saying some of the same things that I've observed working with people in that almost every business person who's been at it a while has thought leadership worthy ideas that are coming out somewhere. They just maybe haven't figured out how to organize it for the internet and how to get it across in the internet, how to turn it to a campaign. And then there's there seems to be a group of people who just get frustrated because they post on LinkedIn and 10 people see it. They don't feel like they're getting enough reach to make it worth their time. How would you address that situation with an executive who's dipping their toes in and getting frustrated that there's not enough fast response to what they're doing? You know, most of these, these same people are very patient people. You know, maybe they built a business over like 15 or 20 years and yet they're not patient when it comes to digital. So I, I think uh, it has to be explained that, you know, the, the, these, these platforms takes time and, and patience to build just like a, in the real world uh, to build a business. And so, I mean, I've been tweeting and posting every day for 14 years to build the audience I've built. And um, you kind of do it for yourself and your, your immediate friends and family to start. But um you know, if you do it consistently, if you just show up and you push the button and you get stuff out there, it you will make move the needle over months and years, but not days and not not weeks. Right. Yeah. It, it certainly takes time, and I wonder how much of that is the dynamic of the expectations that have been set by both digital and traditional advertising campaigns, where hey, we're gonna you know, get you in front of 40,000 people for this amount of money immediately. And you have this idea that they're in control of the conversation through an ad that they can pay for placement in versus a more organic approach where the audience builds gradually. But that audience is building gradually has a much higher quality of attention, don't they? Than somebody is just being interrupted by an ad flying by them while they're doing something else. Yeah, it's 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 more. It's also more niche. I mean, the riches are in the niches, as someone once said. It's like I love that. You know, if you're in the uh, you know uh, ball bearing for you know aviation industry, I mean, there's you really don't care about reaching masses. You care about maybe reaching ten people in your supply chain, right? And having that value. And there could be you can be you can be broadcasting to to an audience of one. 
but that one person might be super relevant. So particularly if you're in a niche business, you, you want to talk to those people in your niche and, and, and broadcast or narrow cast to them and not 40,000 journalists. And so that's what's so beautiful about social is you can even paid social. I mean, you could target down to the individual level, but you can certainly target to certain industries and through, you know, you, you know the, uh, the reach of the platforms, you can target to certain keywords and hashtags and audiences organically. So the fact that you're reaching a hundred people, that might be great if you're in the, uh, Sure. You know, business of of selling, you know, some sort of compliance tool for local banks or jets. You know, you know, or, yeah, yeah that, that an audience of 100 people in that space is is fantastic. And even the big firms like, you know, Tech Target and Gartner, I mean, they're targeting to audiences in the thousands. Right. And they're yeah. they're These are um, companies worth hundreds of millions of dollars. So maybe so, it's more the depth of relationship than the number in a lot of cases. Yeah, the, the relationship and the quality uh, of those eyeballs, it's, it's can be for, for, for certainly like B2B niches that I'm in can be really valuable. And, and if, if you've run into this, um, how do you help business leaders get over the hurdle? If it is a hurdle and, and tell me if you don't think it is, uh, maybe it's just my perspective of seeing media as a way to interrupt somebody's attention and sell them something as opposed to seeing media as a way to empower somebody by informing them and engage them through helping them. Yeah, I think, I think the challenge is we're in the attention seeking economy, right? This economy is all about attention. So it's both an opportunity and a disruption. Sure. Uh, someone once said, it's not who you know or what you know, it's who knows you. So you just have to do things that get the attention of customers in whatever way you can. And that is a lot of disruptive content and video and eye-catchy uh, uh, slogans and tactics that might not feel all that natural or, or obvious, um, but, you know, are sort of necessary in this, the, the attention economy in which we live. It's not fair, but it's just the reality. And how do you address the situations where you got a business based on expertise to a large part and the people there are reluctant to share their expertise because they feel like they're giving away something that they want to charge for, or they feel like they're giving their secrets to their competitors, but there's this sense of withholding information because they don't want to give it away, but that's the information that would actually engage an audience. Yeah, I think that's a, a you know a dangerous philosophy to have. I think you can really be a dinosaur if you continue down that path. I mean, some of the best business people now they put all they put it all out there, including what tools they use, their business tactics. They open themselves up. I, I share everything I'm doing, and uh, yeah, I could be giving away smart advice to others, but the benefits far outweigh that uh, downside. And, you know, even companies I work with, like Dell, we did a series of interviews. I mean, they, they didn't just put forward like their business leaders or technology leaders or executives. They, they put out individual engineers. That's awesome. And, okay, this person was working on uh, self-driving car technology, and he was just a principal engineer in their team. And he was talking about what Dell's doing, and he's talking about the projects he's involved with. And, 
And why would you do that? Because it's really a, a fascinating and interesting view into the technology they're involved with. It's not at all, it wasn't at all marketing. This wasn't a marketing guy. He wasn't a spokesman. He was a senior engineer. Sure. And more and more uh, companies are, you know, putting out, you know, employees out there as their, their advocates, as their uh, spokespeople, because they're, they're so interesting and authentic. So that can come from really non-traditional places in the enterprise beyond like the C-suite and the, the usual marketing kind of people. Sure. Uh, often the best insights and, and analysis are from those people who are engineers or maybe they're working in customer service or they just have unique customer insights and, you know, you know, leverage them with, for, as employee kind of advocates. Uh, so I love, oh, employee advocates. I love that. So is it more of a dynamic of shifting from feeling so competitive to more collaborative in part is with marketing as a whole? I, I think, yeah, marketing is starting to, um, you, you know, social is certainly permeating the entire organization. Like your all your employees are on social media, whether you kind of like it or not. Sure. And they're 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 part of communities. They're communicating with each other internally on tools like Slack, but they're also outside. They're in Facebook groups and they're on LinkedIn and they're and and so you know how do you harness that for good? And sometimes it goes off the rails. You see these employee kind of semi revolts again against you know going back to the office and Apple right. or yeah. you know complaining about the workplace practices. But oftentimes it can be a force for good and and a, and a company that harnesses those employees, turns them into advocates and evangelists can, can get a lot of traction when you train and equip them with the right tools and, and how to position certain content and uh, can be really powerful. Uh, like I've seen big companies do this at IBM and Salesforce and others. They have thousands of, of, of employees who are out there um, really uh, taking the brand uh, you know, to the masses. Um. Let's dive a little bit into and riff off of return on investment, the, the ROI question with social media. And how, how do you cross that bridge when, at least in some cases, it seems hard to measure because it may not be a first touch or a last touch. But whenever I've seen organizations say, we're not able to measure companies customers coming directly from social media and they drop their campaign, their leads drop. Or maybe they're not measuring it the right, right way. I mean, the whole question is, is, is kind of um, uh, loaded in a way, you know, what's the ROI on social media? Well, then if you ask, well, what's the ROI on your entire marketing budget? Uh, I've asked that a couple of times, you'll get maybe some deer in the headlights. Because Which is unfortunate, <laughs> but I know what you mean, yes. <laughs> no, I mean, very specifically, when companies are doing, you know, old school media, print and outdoor and advertising, and, and uh, you, you know, it's, it's, it's always been very hard to measure. I mean, back to the Mad Men uh, <laughs> days. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we didn't really understand how to measure. Now we can actually we can get really good data. So actually... If you have some really excellent social listening tools and some leading edge, you know, data platforms, and you, you, you can follow customers as they move around the web, you can measure, you know, your impact 
in ways you could never before. Well, of course, it's always it's never enough, right? You always want more. You always want that. Oh, sure. That attribution, and it's 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 we're always playing catch up. But um, you know, what's what's your eye? Like I think Gary Gary Vaynerchuk says, well, what's the ROI of your mom? <laughs> Which that's like he, right. he talks about. How do you address motherhood and the love and the caring she gives you? And you just need to some of these things you can't measure. Yeah. And, and, uh, and that's fine. Does. You got to kind of accept to some degree that social is one of these kind of nebulous areas and you can't track and measure and analyze everything um, and just come to terms with that. What do you think? Well, I'm, I'm still evolving my understanding on that. And what I pointed out in those situations is every case I've seen an organization drop their social, their the overall marketing performs less. It always performs better with it. And I recall, and it's been a while, so I can't quote specific studies, but I recall some studies maybe from five or seven years ago, some attribution studies that showed social was very strong in the middle. It wasn't as heavy on the first touch or last touch, like how did you hear about us or what made you call us? But it connected those. It was part of the web, the glue, the bridge that moved people from first touch to last touch, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that's a great point, that that uh, that customer journey. And again, you know, a lot of companies ask that question when they're actually not good at social. So, right. you know, imagine if you were just better at it and your, your content was more better and more interesting, <laughs> more educational. So maybe you're asking partly the wrong questions you know one company is not like another in the way they do social some are great at it some are terrible at it right. some are barely existent you know out there i, I talked to a company of ten thousand employees the other day with one social media person for the entire company wow and basically all she had time to do was just push her content out you know basically you know pushing the buttons i mean there was no strategy didn't have time for anything more uh, interesting or creative so that that's the case a lot of companies, I think. Do you find yourself helping in that kind of situation, like just helping an organization reset their philosophy about social? I'm more tactical and hands-on. I, I love creating content and doing interviews and blogging and 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 through closely working together, helping them with best practices and tips and tricks and tools and advice and critiques on what they're doing and how they could be better and some training and stuff. So, so yeah, but I think, you know, there's so much, you know, we could talk at headlines and philosophy, but at the end of the day, it's how, how can you get your people to be practitioners? Uh, you know? Sure. Sure. And even, even a lot of marketing executives, gosh, they're not on, they're not putting out content and they're not on some networks. Like you'd be shocked how many CMOs are not on Twitter or VPs of marketing are not on Twitter. It's just, it's just amazing to me. So you can help them do that. I, I, I can't force someone who doesn't have that curiosity mm -hmm. or that interest. I, I can help dispel myths. I can help uh, give some advice of people to, to look at, to model themselves after. And, and I can help clean up their, their profiles and, and give them some advice on how to position themselves uh, and, you know, some best practices. But you know, some people just aren't into it. You know, they're not, they're not into putting themselves out there and maybe it's not the right job for them. I think we can probably assume those people aren't very likely to be listening to this podcast. We're probably safe on that. <laughs> uh, what would you, how would people get in touch with you? If somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, you know, I'd like to find out 
what Evan could do for me or like to just engage more into what he's sharing. Uh, yeah, yeah, that would be welcome at Evan Kirstel. So at E-V-A-N-K-I-R-S-T-E-L and always curating and sharing. You can tag me if you have some interesting articles or news. My DMs are open. So always happy to engage. And that's another area that's much uh, under, not understood is the power of the DM, how you can actually do this networking and selling on social media, not just the marketing. I mean, I built more business relationships, client relationships, partnerships, met more friends on social than in real life, just through the power of DMing and engaging and getting to know people. And uh, folks aren't using the platforms in ways they might. Well, that's great. Could you walk us through a primo example or two? Well, do you, do you know who your followers are? Do you know who your connections are? People who follow you on, on LinkedIn or Twitter? I mean, if they're interesting, if they have an intriguing bio, uh, you DM them and they follow, say hello. Say, sure. You know, invite them to lunch, invite them to a virtual coffee or a meeting. And uh, don't always be pitching or selling, but just make make connections, you know, the way you used to do at that chamber, chamber of commerce, exchanging business cards. I mean, more people are more accessible now through social, through LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter through the DM direct message than ever before. So the barriers to to reaching out now you have to have something to say and you have to have a bio that makes sense, not one of those eggheads, and you have to look like a, maybe a credible person uh, if you're going to reach out. But I do that all the time before I even go to a conference, like I'm going to Inbound in Boston, being of September. I'll meet, I'll DM, you know, 50, 100 people and say, hey, let's, I see you're going to inbound. Are you going to inbound? Let's meet up. Let's say hello. And people, you know, particularly with the pandemic are, are very open and interested to socialize uh, than they were perhaps even before. That's really cool. So just uh, open up a, hey, let's have a, let's have a virtual coffee. Yeah, uh, absolutely. More about what you're doing. And, yeah, and everything doesn't have to be pitching and selling. I mean, a lot of people are constantly selling through DM. Big mistake. You know, no one wants to receive that unsolicited LinkedIn message, uh, you know, or that that spam email. Um, but it people are resistance. You know, that makes people, you know, and I've, I've seen this because, you know, being seen as an agency owner, which is one thing I still do, is you get pitched by a lot of agency lead acquisition companies and it makes it easy to miss the really genuine, hey, let's have coffee that comes in. Yeah, between. there's a lot of that. But there's also, you know, a lot of, you know, I think, uh, again, Gary Vaynerchuk, I go back to him, says, you know, left, 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 right hook or something like that. It's like, oh, maybe give something before mm -hmm. you ask even to chat. Maybe you retweet them or like or share some of their posts. Maybe you you do uh, you add, like you've, you've had me here, you know, ask for an interview or join a podcast or do a live stream together. Um, I just did one today with a book author, fascinating guy. And now we're talking about uh, business stuff together. So maybe give something first before you just ask for something, even a meeting or their time. Um, but yeah, it, not everything is about selling. And uh, there's a lot of relationship building and goodness that you can get through social media in real life. And that's what I, that's a big piece I'm getting about your message in general to me how it's coming across is just this it's the attitude of giving it's the attitude of wanting to help it's the attitude of genuinely wanting to make a positive difference and connect with people in the way that helps them knowing that life is reciprocal knowing the law of giving and receiving and if you do that it'll come back to you and that 
probably overcomes a lot of the resistance people have uh, when you feel like um, they're purely being sold to. Yeah, I mean, it's a karma in some way. I mean, you know, go go reshare or retweet and like and comment on someone's article on LinkedIn or someone's uh, tw pin tweet. Uh, you're going to be friends pretty pretty fast. You know, sure. they appreciate that. Or not, or not, they might, if they're, you know, kind of a million followers, they might totally miss it. But I've, I've gotten so many good, uh, I've gotten so much attention, frankly, from really, uh, uh, you know, well-known uh, semi-celebrities uh, on social media through liking and sharing and commenting on their content that it's kind of interesting, like Jim Cramer or Follows Me or Michael Dell or uh, Mark Benioff or just like who's who of, of business people just for me kind of, you know, semi-stalking them in a good way <laughs> over the years. And uh, it's fun. So it's fun to have that that sort of community on online. Yeah, everybody's so much more accessible. And I wonder, what's your take on the economy for online courses, online educations, right? And it, I've spoken with some folks about it and like, well, you can get so much information for free. Who's going to pay for a course online? But then I see others who are doing very well with online courses. What's, what's your thought on that whole field? Yeah, it's both. I mean, if, if I encourage you, look, I, I don't have a class. I, I don't have the time to teach, but um, I've taken classes. I've paid for classes. And, it, you know, if you really like and admire the, the teacher, the creator of that course, and you think you can, they can offer you something, definitely do it. Um, and if you think you have something unique to offer, try, try it out. I don't think uh, there's any stigma to it. Um, uh, you know, go for it. I mean, it's such a, there's so many eyeballs now online that you only need a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of your, you know, of your niche to, to make it worthwhile commercially, et cetera. I'd say also take advantage of the platforms. There are all kinds of learning and teaching platforms that have ready-built, you know, communities. Um, but do it in a way where you you kind of give give and take. So I mean, I, I I suggest you know offering some degree of content for free, and then maybe there's a premium value add for the people who really love it. Um, but for me, yeah, there's just so much free content. I'm just on YouTube and every other platform every day just learning. This is just so much out there. There's almost no excuse uh, not to know how to do something digitally or otherwise. Now there's just some tutorial or some free how-to guide uh, uh, for everything. So that's really an amazing time to be a, like a learner. It is. It is. And uh, I noticed that as a guitar player, how much, you know, gurus of guitar giving lessons on YouTube for free. And yeah, no, it's wonderful. I, 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 one of my clients actually taught himself the guitar through YouTube over the pandemic in like two years. That's amazing. <laughs> and he's a pretty decent guitar player now. You see, he claims, so we'll see. But uh, yeah, language learning. I mean, just it's all out there. It's amazing. So we'd wrap up in just a minute. So how would people, um, how do you want to let people that listen to this podcast know how to reach you. We, we said you're on the platforms is Evan Kirstel, E-V-A-N-K-I-R-S-T-E-L.com. Is that your main hub? 
Yeah, I have a website, as, as you can imagine, EvanKerstel.com, plus on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, whatever your platform is, I'm there. So just search my name and connect and uh, happy to chat. Fantastic. Well, this has been enlightening. I appreciate it, Evan. Yeah, likewise. Thanks so much. You're a good, you're a good question asker. Good interview. I appreciate that. It was okay. great meeting you, and I'm sure we'll stay in touch. Thought Leadership Studio. So this has been episode number 17 of Thought Leadership Studio, the interview with Evan Kerstell on using social media for thought leadership. And if you're currently listening to this on an app and not on thoughtleadershipstudio.com, you're going to want to go to thoughtleadershipstudio.com, click on podcast, or just use the link in the episode notes. I've got some curated notes from the interview. answering a few key questions, overcoming corporate hurdles to social media engagement. Get Evan's take on that. Social media for gaining audience insight and balancing content curation and content creation, as well as the role of webinars in thought leadership. There's also a link to Evan's website and his media, and also a link to get a free copy of the Marketer's Guide to Strategic Thought Leadership. If you don't have it already, you wanna get it just as a beginning, just as a set of building blocks for strategic thought leadership, to give it some structure, to make sure your thought leadership is running on all cylinders. Thanks yet again for listening to Thought Leadership Studio. I'm Chris McNeil. Subscribe if you've not subscribed. Leave a review if you haven't left a review. If you have, thank you. I look forward to seeing you next week. Thought Leadership Studio.